Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea. Hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Caicedo. Welcome to episode 36 of my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. With us today is Robert Wemishner, and Robert is a chef and the author of Cooking with Tea. And he's also an expert at pairing tea and food, which is something that we'll be talking about today. Hello, Robert. Hi, Ricardo. Great to speak to you again. So we're talking about、uh, pairing green tea and food. Right. You know, this is a subject that I think expands the appreciation of tea,、uh, and particularly green tea,、uh, in the mind of the audience. I think that,、uh, you know, we normally think of pairing cheeses, for instance, with wine, but pairing them with tea opens up a whole new taste experience. And can you tell us about your experience with tea pairings? Yes, I mean, I, I really do enjoy、um, experimenting、uh, and having tea at various temperatures. Certainly, in, in the case of pairing teas with cheese, something that's dairy and soft and melts in your mouth works very well when the tea is warm or even hot.、Uh, but a cooler tea、uh, is not a bad idea either.、Uh, you know, if we think of pairing. Cheese with, with wine, wines are either room temperature, cellar temperature, or even a little cooler.、Um, and I like to think of one of the best pairings in terms of green tea with cheese happens to be goat cheese. Uh, goat cheese,、uh, you know, has as many different characteristics and many different styles, really, from the very fresh, soft, and typically mild, which I love with green tea,、uh, and particularly things like、um, uh, sencha or matcha, even、uh, lightly brewed. We think of goat cheese as a, a very nice accompaniment to champagne. Uh, since a lot of the best champagne is made in the same area that goat cheeses happen to be made in France, I'm thinking at this moment. But when we move to goat cheese with green tea,、uh, I think the younger goat cheeses, the freshly made, soft, unaged, seem to work best. How would you describe the difference between goat cheese and just the one from cows? Right. Well, goat's milk cheeses have a certain, I don't know, pleasant,、um, almost uh, salty uh, uh, characteristic, which I think, you know, seems to harmonize with the marine notes in some green teas. And I'd love you to be able to tell me which ones are your favorites as well, on, which seem to have pronounced marine or saline notes.、Um, but.、Uh, When I think of cow's milk cheese, I like to really move into、uh, the deeper, darker, duskier, more complex, which would tend to be, you know, black teas、um, rather than green.、Uh, and so Chinese black teas like、um, uh, Kimen or Yunnan tend to really go very well with some more aged, even Swiss. Style cow's milk cheeses, and so so I would move away from green when I get into those you know heavier, more complexly flavored cheeses. Okay, I understand. So the reason they work better is because they're lighter. 
yes, lighter, and I think, you know, but, but we really, you know, don't want to be mistaken in the sense that depending on how we brew our tea, and certainly in terms of green tea, as I've, as I've been educated by you, you know, the Japanese think one way, but then in Europe and the U.S., we think about brewing in a different way. You know, here in the United States, we like to have a whole large mug of tea, so clearly there's a lot more water, uh, and, and perhaps, you know, a, a small amount of tea proportionate. So the tea's flavor, I wouldn't say, is too bold, you know, even in greens. Uh, so that, that, I think, sets us up for a perfect pairing with goat cheeses. You know, it, it, it has the characteristics that we like in green tea, but not overwhelmingly. And fresh young goat cheeses, you know, are not overwhelmingly flavored. We know that the dairy itself from goats have somewhat of a, I don't know, I don't want to say disparagingly, but somewhat of a barnyardy, you know, earthy flavor, uh, which I find very appealing. And I think that the green tea, when you have some of that in your mouth with the goat cheese, tends to mellow out those notes in goat cheese. It's very interesting. When you taste the cheese by itself, taste the tea by itself, and then and, and mark down what you feel about it, when you have both in your mouth at the same time, it's a very different experience. So, um, you know, that barnyardy earthiness is tamed, I should say, when I'm drinking tea with the cheese which I find, you know, does not eradicate, does not delete or, or negate the beautiful flavors of goat cheese, but it does certainly, you know, mediate or moderate, perhaps. So is that the way that one is supposed to taste tea and cheese when, when you're doing it? Yes, you I, I taste would... one, then the other, and then both? Yes, that's what I like to do, because then I really can appreciate what their individual flavors are. And probably if you're doing this a number of times in a row, let's say you have, you know, a piece of this cheese in front of you, it's not a tiny bite, but it's enough to have three or four times tasting it, then you're probably going to have a piece of bread or a very bland cracker in between. So you're able to sort of clean your palate ready to do the next tasting. Because I think as you taste these over and over again, even the same cheese with the same tea, your impressions are going to change. And you're going to be able to describe more accurately what you are feeling, you know, what you are perceiving in that. The one time you taste it, write down your impressions, but by the time you've tasted it four times within, you know, the same session, you're going to have a different impression, I think. You're going to start to see complexity unfurling. You're going to start to feel like there's something new, you know, in this uh, each time you taste it. And and so uh, – and, and think about it this way. If the tea is in the mug and it's staying pretty much the same temperature, that will uh, be different than starting with warmer or hotter tea and letting it cool and then tasting it. I think those will be different experiences as well. So temperature of the tea is going to affect your perception. The cheese itself should be at room temperature when you're tasting it no matter what. Is there a special way of tasting the cheese? Like, do you put it somewhere around your tongue or? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would put it, you know, back from the tip of the tongue 
and sort of try to hold that in your mouth, you know, which you can because it's melting because of the the body temperature, you know, which we say is 98.6 Fahrenheit or perhaps, you know, lower in some people, slightly higher as the normal temperature. And that will, of course, melt the cheese because cheese melts depending on its type, you know. Uh, the softer cheeses melt more quickly than the harder ones, uh, and some don't really melt at all. You know, as such, they're not designed for melting. Things like Parmesan, you know, sort of melts, but it, you know, it doesn't really. Uh, it has to be hotter, I think, than than body temperature to melt uh, or give the perception that it's melting. So put put a small amount of the cheese, you know, on sort of your tongue, back from the tip of the tongue. And start to sort of allow it to, you know, be in your mouth for a couple seconds and then take a swig of the tea, you know, and then let that continue to open up and blossom and, uh, and really, you know, become what you want it to become. So that means I, I take the cheese in my mouth and then I put in some tea without swallowing the cheese. Right, that's right. I mean, you'll swallow it eventually, all of it together. But I mean, you know, it's it's a matter of you know microseconds probably that this is happening. You know, I don't haven't counted, but you know, and certainly it's going to vary from what kind of cheese you're going to be using. As I said, the younger goat cheeses, which you know are really uncul unripened. You know, they're not aged really. They're made fresh and then they're drained, sort of like when you think of ricotta. Perhaps ricotta, you know, your or or an Indian cheese like paneer, you know, it's it's uncomplicated. It's the flavor of the dairy itself that is so important. So the freshness of the milk, whether goats or cows, that's being used is is you know those beautiful floral notes in it. That is what's going to be the flavor that predominates because you're not aging it. You're not you know, holding it around long. It's something that's made and it's meant to be eaten, you know, as quickly as possible. So if I make from, um, from you know, good dairy milk, even goat's milk, you can do it. You can buy it. I mean, in the United States, we can buy in supermarkets goat's milk. You then culture it with something like a citric juice or an acidifying agent, you know, lemon juice, vinegar. And, you know, you, you let it come up to about 180 Fahrenheit and you then leave it alone, turn off the heat, let it start to clabber, meaning coagulate, and then you let it sit and you drain off, you know, you take off the curds and you do what you want to do. You can drain it longer or, or allowing, you know, for a more dry finished product. You then can put it into cheesecloth and squeeze out excess liquid. Put a weight on it, perhaps, like a can or something, you know, that will drain out more liquid, and then you eat it, you know, adding salt to it, of course, uh, you know, ricotta doesn't have salt, really, added goat cheese would, but, um, and then you're ready to eat it right then and there, versus hanging on to it. Now, what you buy in cheese stores or in supermarkets certainly is not made the day before, you know, it's something that is made, could be weeks, could be, you know, a month before. You know, and it won't have the same really impression on your palate. But those that are available commercially, pre-made cheeses are fine, and we, you know, we enjoy those as well. But you know, making something yourself, you know, which is a very simple process, really, uh, is is a, a wonderful eye opener. You know, and but again, unme unmediated by other flavors, it is the flavor of milk that you're going to be tasting. So that will be a different experience than something that's been aged, complexed by aging. 
we would call this fresh young cheeses, you know, freshly made. And for someone that, that doesn't really know how to pair, when you try a pairing and it doesn't work out, how, right. how do you know that it doesn't work out? Like, what are you right. looking for? Yeah, well, I'm looking for the fact that all I taste is the tea with this pairing, or I just taste the cheese. I don't taste one being transformed by the other, meaning one part of that pairing is predominating and 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 therefore really uh, negating the other part of it. So the tea is is forward and the cheese is is lost or the cheese is so blaringly loud that the tea is overwhelmed. Okay, so Over, they must work together. Right, they must work together. And so when when I don't get anything happening when I've tasted each separately and then together, I will say, well, you know, This particular tea and this particular cheese are not meant for each other. So I move on to another version of, it may be the same tea with another version of goat cheese, let's say. That's a very good way to do it because there are differences, obviously, within a category, as there are differences, of course, within the category of green tea, which is a wide world. Cheese is equally wide. Can you tell us an example of, with a specific yes, green tea? Yes, sure. I mean, I, I enjoy Sencha very much, lightly brewed with a French goat cheese. So we'll call it Chevre, C-H-E-V-R-E, but it would be a Chevre from France, typically the Loire Valley. And, um, you know, and you'd have to ask your cheesemonger about that. What we find now in the United States, because we have gotten quite good at making cheeses in the European style, many of the merchants uh, who, you know, offer a relatively broad selection of cheese are not bringing in French goat cheeses anymore. All you see are American made in the French style, which are different, you know. It just is. The know-how may be there, but there's something extra about the terroir, you know, of the land in which the, the goats are raised that is changing the way we, uh, uh, you know, transfer flavors to the cheese. So, you know, so interestingly, if I buy an American goat cheese, which is fairly one-dimensional, I would say, and there are others of that that are added with herbs and things, and that's a whole other story, and I wouldn't even begin to try to pair those because the herbs predominate. But um, a plain goat cheese made by one of the premier American goat cheese makers, and we've been making goat cheese in the French style back to about the 1975-80, right in there. So it's, you know, almost, you know, it's 40 years, let's say. Uh, there was a wonderful woman who went to France and learned how to, you know, make goat cheese, Laura Chanel, and she was the, pro, you know, prime uh, producer of American goat cheese in the French style, and she spawned a whole series of, you know, makers who do this, and eventually her company was sold to a large company as these things go, so it's no longer in her hands, but although her name is still on it, Um, so, you know, that is a different experience, but I think that movement has, as I say, led to, you know, the lessening of imported goat cheeses from France, interestingly, or even Spain or Italy. And there are some from each of those countries that I like. Okay. And how about like a bancha that it's not a marine tea? 
Yeah. Bancha, I think, would be beautiful with something very creamy, all right, not a goat cheese, but something that would be a triple creme. So there, French style or French, and those are still very much available. Things like Saint-André or Explorateur, or uh, there's a Saint-Angèle, like Angel. There is also a uh, what's called Fromage Daffinois, which in French, the translation is a cheese of the ripener. You know, it's a ripened cheese, carefully aged Fromage Daffinois, the cheese of the ripening process. Um, and those are all creamy. Those are double or triple creme, meaning the fat content is quite high, 60% butterfat, 70%. Uh, those are wonderful with something like a bancha. I think that would be a beautiful pairing, and, and I think your listeners would do well to seek those out. Okay, and how about gyokuro or sencha that, that have a lot of umami flavor? Would it also go right. well with fat? You know, I think that when I have a cheese that has a lot of umami, I am I am actually going to dare myself and challenge my palate to enjoy a blue cheese with that. As strange as that may be, and blue cheeses, you know, are the dividing line for cheese eaters. You either love them or hate them. I think you can learn to love them. But uh, these, you know, inoculated with the penicillium molds, you have this beautiful blue, things like Roquefort or Saint-Agour, and there are many actually Maytag blue from the U.S. There's another very good one from uh, Northern California, which is called, called Point Reyes, R-E-Y-E-S, Point Reyes. Uh, they make a beautiful blue cheese. All of that without the umami-flavored green tea, I think, would be wonderful. Um, it, it's a palate cleanser, that tea, and you're ready for the next bite. There can be quite a salty presence, though, in these cheeses. So, you know, you might want to taste widely to see which ones are a little more tame on the on the salt side. I see. And how about hojicha? Hojicha, the roasted greens. I mean, there I would go into. I could. I could certainly see myself going into a cow's milk cheese. So a hojicha would actually pair very nicely with even something like Gruyere or a Gruyere style. You know, Swiss style uh, Alpine cheeses made. You know, from the cow's milk of cows that you know climb up into the Alps. You know, at high elevations. Uh, and then they bring them back down to milk them and, you know, and then the cheese is produced. But And then that is aged, you know, that can be aged some. Uh, that actually might be very nice with the hojicha. And um, is there anything special that, that you really like to pair with, with a particular cheese? Uh, I think that, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the sencha... I love with goat cheeses, you know, I mentioned that. And, uh, you know, and I think that that works very well. I mean, that's a good starting point for people, I feel, uh, you know, as, as the first pairing and then, you know, branch out from that. But what I always say to people when I'm teaching this subject is start with the tea you love and start with the cheese you love. All right, and you know everybody has you know one at least that they they could say this is the cheese I love, this is the tea I love. Try putting them together. All right, do it that way. See if that is not the best point of entry for you. And once doing that, you then you're emboldened. You know, you're getting more courage to try and reach out to other teas and other cheeses. And when you do the actual tea and cheese pairing, do you recommend like I don't know three or four pairings? 
Yes, I think so. I mean, I think three or four cheeses, you know, you might do one cow's milk, one goat's milk, and I haven't talked about it yet, but one sheep's milk cheese, you know, and, and one blue, which is typically cow, but it could be other than uh, sheep as well for blue. The famous blue cheeses are made with sheep's milk. But uh, so, you know, one from each kind of milk, right? And then, you know, I would make it um, educational and stick with one tea with each of those cheeses. The same tea, that is. Don't, oh, you know, don't, yeah, same tea as, as a starting point. And, and then you might be able to say, oh, no, this one doesn't work. All right, now I need to, to change teas, you know, and move into another green or a black. You know, the world is so wide in this. But, you know, it's, it's the, the most scientific in a way and the most valid way, I feel, is to pick your four cheeses but stick with one tea with each and see where, where that goes. Okay, and then when one tea doesn't work, then you change the tea and... Then I switch out, you know, for that cheese that I felt it didn't work with and, and then expand my horizons that way. And then, you know, the next one, um, you know, might be, you know, or you might even say, well, this was the outstanding pairing with this tea of these four cheeses. Okay, I've got that. Now I need to change teas and see what would be, you know, another pairing. In other words, if there is one that really stands out, that would then mean the other three in your own mind were less successful. And, and then you would take note, of course, which you need to. You're never going to remember this. You've got to write it down. Um, is to say, well, you know, this one was the outstanding one, but this one was was good, and these other two were passable or not at all. You know, eliminate, and then you then introduce a new T to this cheese. You know, in each one, taking notes. So you'll wind up with hopefully four very nice pairings. They may be different teas, but the cheeses you've chosen, and you you know, you'll start with the same tea, but then you. You'll start bringing in a new tea to taste, and then by the end of the process, and you can make a party out of this, you know, uh, with some nice bread or, you know, non-flavored things to go with it, and then, um, you know, wind up with four very good pairings that you would do again. You know, you liked it so much, you're going to do it again. So you've educated your palate, you've written things down so you know what you've done, and, and you know, hopefully you could re-experience this, you know, at a future point because you've, you've arrived at something that was nice. Again, subjective to your palate. It's only to your palate. What tastes good to you might be different from what, from what tastes good to me. And using that same procedure, I guess, you can easily uh, pair tea with, with any food. Yes, right. I mean, you, yes. I mean, you know, we could we could make a beautiful, or you can use it in the cooking of. So I would do a cold green tea noodle, you know, in the Japanese style, adding, you know, a few aromatics, a bit of, you know, ginger and some crunch within the form of, you know, like radish sprouts, uh, softness in the form of tofu. Uh, but I would cook the noodles and then steep them in tea that had been brewed for, you know, a good half hour, then put it in the fridge, let it sit in that tea. You know, lightly brewed tea, then drain it out, of course, and you now have these noodles that are the basis for what I would call a cold dish that I'm going to add a number of things to. Like I said, tofu, a bit of scallion, radish sprouts, bean sprouts, or I could bring together this idea of tea and goat cheese by brewing tea that's hot and pouring that over some tender greens in the form of something like, you know, charred or spinach leaves, well washed, and all the ribs taken out of them, just the tender leaf part. Pour some hot green tea over it, let them wilt 
drain them out and then serve them with uh, bits of goat cheese. And because we're now in summer in this hemisphere, I'm wonderful uh, ideas occur to me in the form of stone fruits. We have the best in California, the best peaches now, plums, nectarines. That goes very well with this tea-wilted greens. That's a recipe that I've adapted from my book, Cooking with Tea, uh, which was an idea that occurred to me now uh, almost 20 years ago, and it's still valid. <laughs> What is your favorite way of, of cooking with tea? You know, I am a pastry chef by training, so I love to make sweets with tea. And we know that green tea ice cream, but made with different kinds of green tea, which each with their own flavor profile, using the same procedure. In this case, I love doing that. And now in summer, we love it. So we steep the cream and milk with tea overnight, cold infusion, meaning it's in the refrigerator and it takes a good 24 hours. Then sieve out all the tea leaf with a very fine screen sieve. And then I make the ice cream, usually egg yolk based with sugar. And you cook that liquid with egg yolks and sugar until the eggs are cooked to about 180 degrees Fahrenheit, 185 tops. And then I chill that over ice and then I put it into an ice cream machine and freeze it. And I serve that with a caramel sauce, which is burnt sugar and cream with sesame seeds. So sesame caramel green tea, fantastic combination. I'm ready to eat it right now, and it's not even lunchtime yet. Yeah, I'm feeling hungry already. <laughs> and then other than that, if I want something not creamy, but meaning lighter and less, you know, no fat at all, although there could be some sugar, I would use something like a very light green tea and use that as the poaching liquid, lightly sweetened, to taste, put some whole fruits that I've peeled, like peaches or plums, and I poach them at a very low simmer, turn it off, let it cool in the liquid, all of it, and then put it in the fridge, and the next day, I take those fruits out of the liquid, uh, put a little bit of the liquid over it, and serve that as a very refreshing dessert at the end of a meal. So the tea has infused the flavor of the fruits. The fruits have their own natural sugar, particularly at this time of year when they're at their peak, thinking of white peaches or white nectarines and, and a, a light green tea uh, as my liquid. And, um, and that's also a wonderful uh, flavored uh, dessert. So I love to do that. And that would be served with a cookie of some kind, you know, a, maybe a spiced cookie, a ginger cookie would be beautiful with it. Um, or just a plain buttery cookie, a French sablé or short dough based cookie, you know, just a little bit of something thin and crisp would be beautiful with that because you want that textural counterpoint. And are you working on any tea related thing? Yes. I mean, I mean, I, Yeah, I, I absolutely am. Actually, I've been working uh, on developing recipes with pu'er, you know, which of course is a, a flavor unto itself, or many flavors. But you know, the the ripe and unripe pu'er from from uh, China. It sounds like it is harder to pair. Yes, I mean it, it's really a challenging tea in itself, but but uh, people say it's the it is the gateway tea for coffee lovers. I don't know that I agree with that, but that I've heard that from a number of people. I mean, its earthiness, 
It's, um, you know, deep and dark and complex, but works very well with things like strongly flavored meats, you know, like maybe duck or turkey, you know, that kind of thing. And certainly works with mushrooms in many different forms because to me it has a mushroomy flavor in many cases. So I've used that to my advantage to, you know, highlight those flavors. Um, of the tea itself, but uh, it is a challenging thing. But I, I'm sure I'm going to arrive at some some nice things to serve. And you're also active in in education, right? Yes, I am. I teach professional baking uh, about nine months a year. I'm on my summer break now, but I will be teaching uh, in September, beginning of September, a class that uh, runs for 16 weeks. That's the semester. And we do all kinds of plated desserts, like restaurant-style plated with multi-components on them. And that's based on a book that I wrote now. It's um, eight years ago. Um called The Dessert Architect, and I teach the students how to create multi-component plated desserts that would be served in an upscale restaurant, uh, and uh, and we oftentimes use tea as a flavor in those. You know, it can be a tea poached fruit, as I mentioned. It can be a tea ice cream. It can be a tea panna cotta, a tea custard. Uh, tea sauces, of course, abound as, as garnishes on plates. You know, it does certainly uh, keep me busy. And I'm enjoying that, and I've done that for a lot of years and haven't uh, chosen to retire yet. <laughs> Do you think that there's going to be uh, a future for tea in, in restaurants? I think that it, 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 it's a strong learning curve for restaurants. I think, you know, coffee is certainly, you know, being made more of in all kinds of places. Tea um, is, a, is a little harder sell and, and there's more knowledge needed for the restaurant operator and the people who are going to brew the tea and servers and educate the customers about all this. So, you know, I would say it is, there certainly is a future. It's, it's, it's taking a while, but, but it's, it's coming on stronger now and people recognize that you know tea uh, is a is a wonderful end of meal uh, beverage but also an all day one but also uh, you know a, a a pairing idea too and there are some restaurants in the US who you know do some pair whose tea programs are strong who are doing tea dishes tea based dishes and tea pairings uh, and I've, I've, I've experienced some of that so certainly you know as the press picks this up more and more the health benefits of uh, I think uh, the tea is is on the ascent. Okay, and have you experimented with pairing tea and chocolate? I love tea and chocolate. I mean, certainly we know that uh, some of the smoky Japanese tea, Chinese teas, excuse me, um, are great with chocolate. Um, green teas I find work really well with white chocolate. Uh, because of sort of this, uh, you know, a little bitter edge in the tea really counterbalances the sweetness of the white chocolate, which is, you know, purely cocoa butter, sugar, and, and dairy. You know, there's no dark parts of the chocolate, the cocoa nib that's in it, which is why it's white. Uh, but um, I like it very much with that. And I'm starting to work with milk chocolate again, which is kind of the, the halfway point between dark and white. And I feel green tea does very well with that. Um, uh, and 
then again, uh, I've been making, you know, chocolate truffles, you know, making a ganache with the chocolate that has the tea leaves in it and then are, they're sieved out. I'm speaking of something not as fine as matcha. I'm thinking about a Japanese green tea where the leaves can be sieved out after the process. I think something like hojicha has worked very well. I like that. I like that roasted element, which seems to uh, work well with milk chocolate. And milk chocolate itself is being produced more and more in darker versions, meaning there's more of the cocoa solids in it, which then means that there's less sugar. So we have more of a chocolate presence and less of a dairy presence in milk chocolate. That pairs very well with hojicha. Um, Is there any other thing you would like to add? I think we've covered a lot, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and and I want to be uh, kept aware of uh, what your listeners might say about the things I've I've uh, uh, I've stated today. Any comments uh, or questions, they can certainly reach me through you, and I would be happy to uh, answer them. So uh, look forward to a continuing dialogue. Okay, thank you, Robert. Um, I'm gonna link it in in the blog post, but Robert's website is. RobertWemishner.com. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they can also find me on Instagram. I'm happy to comment on things there. My Instagram uh, name is Gurtigo, G-O-U-R-T-O-G-O. They find me on that. They can find me and see all the posts I put up of all of the foods I do, some tea-related, some not, some of my students' work. It's all very inspiring, I hope. So... Thanks for taking the time for this interview. Enjoyed it very much. Talk to you soon. Very well. Thank you very much, Ricardo. Bye now. Thank you for listening to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Join us again next time 